0: Beginning of time, in the far east, there was a land where dragons and phoenixes made their living, and unicorns bask in the sun. It was a magical land, the kind of paradise that could only exist in the early, more innocent days of the earth. In the lush and beautiful land was flower, fruit, mountain, and upon that mountain was a massive rock, created from the coupling of heaven and earth. One day, for reasons no one could explain. The monolith cracked in half, revealing a large stone egg within, and from that egg hatched a stone monkey. He seemed, by all accounts, to be a normal monkey until he first opened his eyes. When his eyelids lifted, a massive beam of powerful golden light blasted forth all the way to heaven where the great Jade Emperor held court, making him aware of the monkey for the first time. Naturally curious and social, the monkey descended from the mountain to meet and frolic with other monkeys. Despite having no parents like the other monkeys, and being just a little bigger than the rest of them, he fit in very well. They played together, exploring their favorite stream and searching for its source. They found a massive curtain-like waterfall. They had never seen anything like it before, and they were all curious what could be behind it, but no one was quite brave enough to jump through and see for themselves. The stone monkey ruffled his fur. He thought perhaps the stone flesh beneath it might be heavy enough to carry him through. The other monkeys in their colony said that if any one of them was brave enough to jump through, they would make him their king. While all of the monkeys were equal to each other in the group, the promise of high rank was too much for the stone monkey to resist, and he lunged forward, bracing himself to strike a wall of solid rock behind the water. Instead, his body was flung into a vast cavern. An iron bridge arched its way to a grand palace. He emerged from the waters victorious, having found a grand and safe new home for his people. They crowned him their king, and from then on, he cheerfully called himself the Handsome Monkey King. For years, he lived happily among the other monkeys, but that happiness dimmed over time. He saw friends begin to pass away due to old age, rather than predators or dangerous terrain. This had never occurred to him, that even with a safe home and plenty of food, he could still be killed by time. The handsome Monkey King grew deeply morose. There had to be some way to avoid this. There had to be a loophole. The Buddhas, the Immortals, and the Holy Sages could not be murdered by time. So why could he? Why should he? Thus, the Monkey King left his cave in Flower Fruit Mountain to seek immortality to share with his people. Humans were afraid of him at first, but once he disguised himself with clothing, he blended in better, only to find that the humans did nothing but toil away, working from dawn until dusk trying to acquire wealth rather than trying to reach enlightenment. For nine years he traveled, questioning every human he met in order to find an immortal to learn from. He eventually found the immortal Sabuti on the mountain of mind and heart, who named him Sun Wukong this Taoist sage trained Wukong, eventually giving him the recipe to create the elixir of life. It took about nine years to perfect, which should have taken a lifetime. The immortals were not fond of anyone getting any shortcuts, and the sage told the Monkey King that indulging in the elixir would result in him being cursed by three calamities. First, he would be struck by lightning. Second, they would try to burn him alive, and third would result in him being disintegrated. The sage taught Wukong the 72 transformations, making him capable of shapeshifting into other creatures, or even trees. He taught him to ride the clouds so that he could travel quickly from place to place, letting all this power immediately go to his head. Monkey couldn't help but show off his new skill set. All of his fellow disciples recognized how extraordinarily he truly was. The master emerged from his room and dismissed the other students. Wu Kong needed to leave. The master had risked bringing the three calamities upon himself by allowing Monkey to be here and teaching him, only to have him flout all of his mystical and philosophical teachings in order to gain power and popularity. Monkey had ignored all of the most important lessons the sage had tried to teach him. Monkey knew he should be ashamed, but with his newfound power, he couldn't help but have a little extra pep in his step as he returned to Flower Fruit Mountain and his home. He found on his return that his people had been evicted by a demon called the Monstrous King of Havoc. No, I'm not kidding. This monster not only kicked the little primates out of their home, but he also kidnapped and enslaved them. Their king had returned to save them. He entered the cave. To the monster, whose red eyes glowed from within the darkness, Wukong pulled several hairs from his chest and chewed them vigorously. Then he spat them out, and they had divided into three hundred hairs, which all transformed into clones of monkey. Chaos erupted as the hundreds of sassy simians all attacked in the in insanity of fur and teeth. The King of Havoc dropped his sword, which the original Wukong used to cleanly cleave his head in two. The clones returned back to pairs the that then wafted away in the breeze. The monkeys raided the King of Havoc for weapons, and Wukong began training them in combat to avoid further invasion, should he ever leave again. The monkeys were trained, armed, and outfitted, but the Monkey King could not quite find a weapon worthy of him as their leader. He needed something mightier, and no one collected hordes of mighty treasure like dragons. Sun Wukong visited the King of Dragons to see if they had a weapon worthy of the handsome Monkey King. As the monkey rejected sword after club after dagger, the Dragon King sighed, He had known it would come to this moment when he saw Monkey's army at the gates. That morning, the golden staff had begun to glow, meaning that the weapon had chosen its master when Wukong arrived. The staff was so massive that not even the dragons could lift it, and so they used it as a pillar in their palace. But Monkey lifted it easily, then it magically shrank nicely to fit into his fur. The dragons were now so frightened of Monkey that when he requested armor, they put their far- finest outfitters on the task. If he could wield their finest, their eight-ton staff, he could bully what he wanted out of them. Fully equipped, Sun Wukong made himself useful by fighting off every monster in the land who would then ally themselves with him. He had grown so powerful that he thought himself untouchable until the very moment... That he felt the cold hands of the servants of the god of death dragging him down to hell. He pulled what looked like a sewing needle out from behind his ear and grinning as it magically extended to his full length staff. The handsome monkey king used his magical size changing golden staff to deliver an epic beat down to the generals of the gods of death. Not kidding, the book literally says they were, quote, turned to a paste by a monkey. How embarrassing! When he reached their leader, he reminded them that he was an immortal and was not going to let himself be taken and trapped in the land of the dead. He found his name in their records of life and death, and erased it along with the names of any and all other monkeys he could find. Now all of them had no record of birth, nor death. They were ageless now, eternal. Unfortunately, this was one too many crimes for the Jade Emperor of Heaven to overlook. Between this and the dragons, complaining because he took away the magic pillar that their king used to measure the depth of the seas, he had far too many complaints about the impulsive and mischievous monkey. Since the Jade Emperor knew he couldn't kill Wukong, who was now out of his jurisdiction of the Lords of Death, he instead decided to offer him a position in heaven. The emperor was hoping that by keeping the shape-shifting immortal menace close, he could keep him out of trouble. Wukong was put in charge of the heavenly horses, since in Chinese mythology, monkeys are said to protect horses from illness for, I don't know, reasons, I guess. He was proud to have earned a place among the gods until he found out that he was basically a stable boy. He had the lowest rank in heaven, and no one considered him their equal. As we've seen, Monkey is both power-hungry and prideful. He's used to being treated with reverence and fear on earth. Furious, he left heaven in a huff and returned to Flower Fruit Mountain, where he renamed himself the Great Sage Equal to Heaven. A kind of open insult to the gods, calling himself their equal, despite the fact that none of them have acknowledged this as a fact. Demons had emerged and were now trying to ally themselves with Wu Kong. They knew his pride, and they knew that he would want revenge for his perceived insult from heaven. A little flattery later, and Sun Wu Kong, one of the most powerful immortals, was planning to take his armies and allies to war with heaven. After sending an army upon army to fight Wukong and his monkeys, demons, dragons, etc., and failing time after time, the Jade Emperor sent a representative to offer Wukong a real position this time, the guardian of the Garden of Peaches of Immortality. And they allowed him to keep the title of Great Sage Equal to Heaven, Pretty much because it was an empty title that didn't actually mean anything, so, you know, it just flattered his pride and it kept him from uprising and causing a bunch of trouble. He again thought he was now an immortal and equal to all of the other gods and respected, but all too soon they proved that they still saw him as just a dirty monkey. The Queen of Heaven was preparing for the Festival of Immortal Peaches and sent her maidens to gather these peaches when one of them let it slip that Wukong was most certainly not invited to the festival. But all of the other immortals were, and I mean everyone but him. Furious at being snubbed again, Wukong ate all of the peaches, which only ripened every three thousand years. These peaches were given to those immortals or sorry, to those mortals whose courage and virtue had proven them worthy to join the ranks of the pantheon, such as fallen soldiers or monks. Now, no one who had earned that blessing in the last 3,000 years could receive it. It was a big deal. He did a bad, bad, bad thing. Wukong then disguised himself as another immortal and went to the festival where he drank all of the wine of immortality, and ate all of the alchemically produced immortality pills. He then, again, retreated to Flower Fruit Mountain and surrounded himself with his army, waiting for the inevitable repercussions for his drunken discussion. He's also like ten times immortal now, which is crazy. The Jade Emperor, naturally, is furious by the time Guan Yin, the goddess of compassion and mercy, came upon the scene to partake in the festival. Needless to say, she found the Heavenly Kingdom in absolute chaos. The Jade Emperor confided in Guan Yin that he had doubts about whether or not the forces of Heaven had the power to defeat Sun Wukong. The powerful General Erlang, the mightiest Heavenly General, then was sent to collect Wukong personally. This was a suggestion by Guan Yin. What followed was a shape-shifting duel for the centuries. If Monkey turned into a rabbit, Erlong turned into a fox. If Monkey turned into a sparrow to fly away, Erlong turned into a sparrow hawk. Think the wizard's duel from the sword and the stone, but without all the cartoon slapstick. Monkey was more clever than Erlong, but Erlong was more powerful, and able to match every rapidly shifting transformation. Monkey was distracted by the general when his hunting dog plunged his teeth into Wukong's leg. The injury slowed him down. The immortals bound him and dragged him to heaven for judgment. Monkey's crimes were punishable by death, yet with his studies, the peaches, the wine, and the pills, he was now a, like, deluxe immortal, as I mentioned before. Their best shot was to place Wukong in a flaming brazier, where the elixir of life would distill out of him. They would then be able to execute him. Yet, in the 49 days of distillery, Monkey emerged as just as immortal as he was before. However, now his eyes glowed red from all of the smoke, and in them was the power to see through any deception. So it's true, what doesn't kill you really does make you stronger. Wukong decided to make a break for it. He fled the gates of heaven only to be stopped by Bodhisattva or sorry the Bodhisattva Guanyin Bodhisattva again is a someone who has reached immortality or godhood status but decides to forego becoming one of the gods or joining the pantheon of the gods in order to be able to further influence humanity for good so this kind of falls into line with Guanyin's role as the goddess of compassion and mercy as well, and that she would sacrifice her own right to join the gods in order to be kind of closer to humans and to be able to help them. So it tracks with her overall title. More importantly than that, though, she brought her master, the Buddha himself. Buddha promised Wukong that if he used his somersault, which could transport him around the world in one roll, to roll all the way off Buddha's hand, the monkey king, could have what he wanted. And he wanted everything. He wanted to take over heaven at this point, just because he's so mad. He wanted to do it out of spite. Monkey smirked, stood on Buddha's hand, and rolled. He saw mountains, rivers, and streams flash by until he reached the end of the earth. To his disappointment, he found it very plain. Five pillars reached up from the plain, flat ground to the sky, To make things more interesting, Monkey wrote his name on the tallest pillar, then returned to Buddha and Guanyin. When he had finished boasting, it was the Buddha's turn to smile. He told Monkey that being enlightened meant being one with all things and all places, so he could not be escaped from. He was omnipresent. To prove his point, he held out his hand, where Monkey's own name in his own signature was on Buddha's middle finger the tallest pillar. Monkey had never left Buddha's hand. The Buddha's hand then clapped down over Sun Wukong and pressed him downward. All five elements, wood, metal, earth, fire, and water, all pressed down on Monkey until he was trapped beneath a mountain. The crushing weight was pure agony, but the immortality that Monkey had wanted so badly kept him from dying, so there would be no relief. The great sage, equal to heaven, was clasped within the darkness and the weight of the five elements mountain for 500 years when he would finally receive a chance to atone for his many sins. Hey everyone, sorry this episode took so long. I did do some traveling a week or so ago and then the journey west sorry, Journey to the West, is nearly 2,000 pages long and I prefer to use multiple sources to ensure as much accuracy as I can, and as such, the Journey to the West is a lot to work my way through though worth it because of its literary significance It's just a, it's a big task. I think I've narrowed it down to about four sources that I consider, um I guess, accurate enough to be worth using as my primary sources, so that helps. It just ended up being a much, much larger task than I thought it was going to be when I got started largely because most of what I knew about the journey to the West was just what we talked about today, the story of the Monkey King. And there is so much more. This is literally just the first seven chapters of a hundred chapter novel. So we have not even scratched that surface, guys. Whew, strap it, right? But it is um, a very significant novel. It's a very, very fictionalized mythologization of the actual journey of a monk from China to India and back to retrieve the sutras. This is why, while Confucianism and Taoism are present in the story as major Chinese religions, Buddha is the GOAT in this story. There are elements of Chinese magic and mythology added as well, giving the whole story a fairy tale feel that was meant to convert people naturally from Confucianism or Taoism, sorry, Taoism, to Buddhism, because doing so by force defeats the whole point, right? This is one of the oldest recorded stories in human history, and it is considered one of the four... Greatest literary works in Chinese history, along with the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, Dream of the Red Chamber, The Scholars, and The Plum in the Golden Vase. The Journey to the West was recorded by Wu Chengen um, during the 16th century. I've heard some say 15th century, and translated to English by Arthur Whaley and called Monkey, despite the fact that Tang Sanzang, pronounced Xuanzang, is is the uh, actual main character. So yeah, in The Journey to the West, we have not even touched our protagonist yet. If anything, Monkey is protagonist-adjacent kind of anti-hero, but the book, it really does make sense the way they put it, because they wanted to establish what he needed to be redeemed from before they, you know, jumped into the journey that would Create the incidents of his redemption, and of uh, Tripitaka—that is, Shang Zhen's um, four or five kind of monster companions, immortal companions that join him on his journey to India from China. Monkey King is the one who has the most to redeem himself from. He's kind of been the most naughty, but he also redeemed himself the most completely. And so it is, while it is mainly the story of this monk and his journey to retrieve the sutras, Monkey has the hugest character arc, and so I think that's why a lot of people resonate with Monkey the most. Most people can tell you the Journey to the West features the Monkey King, but most people don't know much else about it. So, I mean, at least most people in the West here. And so, it's really really fun. It's basically in China, this is one of their greatest historical stories. It's kind of like their Paul Bunyan or Pecos Bill. It's 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 not even that. It's I heard one of my sources say that it's like if you combined the size and scope of the universe involved, you'd compare to Lord of the Rings, but the fandom is as rabid as like the Star Wars or superhero fandom. And if you you would have to combine all of those things to realize how big the cultural impact of this story is in China. And so since I haven't covered, I think the only other Chinese story I've actually covered is um, the Chinese Cinderella. So I haven't done a lot from China, and it's an incredibly old country, so there's a lot to work with there. I've had a couple people ask, well, why don't you cover more American stories? Well, I'll, I'll get to it, but because our country is so young, it truly is the new world in a very real sense. Still, we don't think about it that way because America has become such a big deal globally. But as far as folklore goes, I mean, the one story of Rapunzel is older than our country is as a whole. And so, you know, in seeking, seeking authenticity and stories that actually come from that country, you know, are, we're we're kind of the new guys. So China is definitely not one of the new guys, so I'm pulling up one of their stories. I think I've done a couple Japanese stories too, but that's not, not at all the same thing. And for some reason, I find Japanese names a little bit easier. To pronounce, I think Japanese is a little bit more like Spanish, where you pronounce every letter, whereas Chinese is a little more like French, where you pronounce it almost any way except what it looks like on paper. So <laughs> I, know, I have real trouble pronouncing these Chinese names, which you're going to see even more of in the next couple episodes. So bear with me, um, especially if you're somebody who grew up in a culture where this story is significant. If it makes you feel any better, I totally slaughtered all of the Norse mythology names, too. It's not like a race thing. I just can't talk, (laughs) I guess. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so excited to cover more of this story as we go. There will be some parts that I just kind of go through a little quickly just because it is like 2,000 pages long, so if things get super, super repetitive, you may find me cruising through it a little more quickly to get to the next kind of turn in the road as far as the story goes, but I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about a story that is so old and so lovely and uh, has such a big cultural significance. I think if you've ever seen um, The Forbidden Kingdom or if you've ever seen Dragon Ball Z or even Avatar The Last Airbender, the influence of this story of the journey to the West is everywhere and is it's a lovely story and I love stories of redemption of characters that you think are too far gone. Because I think there's a lot of hope there. I think we're all unless you're like a narcissist, we're all very aware of our own flaws and shortcomings. We all hope that there is a way for us also to be redeemed and to reach a in our lives where we no longer struggle with our sins or our addictions or our flaws the way that we used to. We hope to become better people and experience that kind of growth no matter what your worldview is and I think that's why the story of Monkey resonates so much with so many people even though he's a monkey and therefore innately brings an element of silliness to the story just because they're kind of weird creatures as it is. I think everybody has that hope of being able to be Redeemed and to move beyond the things that they kind of regret in the past. And so you look at a character like Monkey, like Loki, like Coyote, who they have a lot to come back from, (laughs) honestly, guys. And a lot of times, characters like Loki in Norse mythology, we saw in our episodes on Ragnarok, he started out trying to be good and eventually is just like, look, if I'm going to be bad anyway, I'm going to go full hog. With Monkey, we see kind of the opposite. He does have the turn, influenced largely by this monk in his life and by the Buddha and by Guan Yin. And so I think it's it's realistic to have stories like Loki where you just the character decides it's not worth the fight to be something that he's not, but then it's inspiring to have stories like Monkey, who actually go through the effort and go through the suffering that it takes to become something better than what they naturally are. And I think the suffering, being crushed by the mountain and so on, is a big part of it. I think part of what turns us off from some hero characters is that they make the journey of moving past your sins or past your regrets look so easy. And so to a character like Monkey, who has to struggle and suffer to get there, I think that's a lot more relatable because in real life, say you're addicted to, oh, I don't know what's something common, cigarettes. I don't really know a lot about cigarettes. Say you're addicted to caffeine. That's, you know, most of the Western world, right? If you're trying to get out of that, it is not an easy gig. There's going to be headaches, there's going to be grumpies, you know, and it's, to have any improvement in yourself requires a certain amount of struggle and effort. And I think Monkey not only is a good version of the trickster because he is redeemed and he's redeemed from being really, really bad, <laughs> as we saw today but he's redeemed in a way that is not just some easy turnaround. Okay, I'm going to be good now. Kind of, there's, a, there's an actual arc. He struggles, he fails, he is punished vigorously. You know, and I think that that's important too, that we don't pretend that making a massive heel turn in your life is going to be easy. And I think that that's part of why people who know this story appreciate Monkey is because not only is there a redemption but there's, you know, which is something we all strive to, but there's a redemption that's realistic because it comes with the struggle. And I think we appreciate that. It's hard to relate to characters, both ones that turn evil on a dime and ones that turn around and suddenly become good and never struggle with falling back into bad habits. So that's why I find Monkey a little bit relatable. Even though I've never been so naughty that I stripped three thousand years of mortals from a chance at immortality, that's real bad. <laughs> I don't know, he's a bad guy. But you know, we'll we'll see that that change with time, which is nice. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoy this story as much as I do. I just find it fascinating to go over stories from places that are so far away that their context is totally totally different and yet the story is still relatable i think that like food stories connect us from all over the world it helps us focus on what we have in common instead of the ways in which we are different and i really really enjoy and love stories for that reason i love to focus on the things we have in Common, And I think that it's something that we struggle to do a lot today. And I hope that you feel the same way and you will share these stories, these episodes with your friends and family members like and subscribe so that they also can focus on some of the things that we have in common with the people around us, instead of the things that make us different. You'll find that really, there is a lot more there to unite us if we stop focusing on the areas where there's friction. Have a beautiful day and uh, I can't wait to continue going over this wonderful story with you.